I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, May 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 171 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing was the Imaginarium Book Festival. It was a one-day free book festival signing event for uh, like fantasy and science fiction genres in Washington, D.C. It was originally scheduled for 2020, and we all know what happened there. So this was the first time we had a live in-person event. It's the inaugural um, event of this new festival created by Nadej Richards and Diantha Jones, um, and it was great. It was fantastic. It's kind of a small event in the National Press Club in downtown Washington, D.C., and so, yeah, it was my first book signing. I guess I did a book signing at AwesomeCon uh, last August or October. I can't remember which month it was, but it was part of the larger event. So this is kind of my first exclusive book event. Um, yeah. And so I sold Savage City and the bookstore had the Earth Singer Chronicles as well. And I did a giveaway for an arc of the Monsters We Defy. And so it was actually a lot of fun getting to see some authors who I hadn't actually met in real life. And of course, getting to meet readers. So if you were there, I was really glad to see you and meet you. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I also took it as a sort of a dry run for a polycon, which is a much, much larger festival happening in uh, July. Similar event, but just multiple days, over a thousand readers, where this was more like a hundred or so. And um, actually, I don't know exactly how many people were there, but it seemed to me in the, I think they were expecting, you know, up to 200 people. Um, but yeah, a polycon, which is Jennifer Armantrot's event, just having a ton of authors there, a ton of readers. It's also in the DC area, so I can drive down again. But this was a good test run for me as sort of a dip my toe back into author signings and just, um, yeah, a good sort of precursor to that. So I could get an idea of what to bring, how to lay my table out, those kinds of details. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm also, you know, concerned about my energy levels, but it's it's like, it gives and takes, you know, I did come home. I was very, very tired afterwards. Like the rest of the day I was kind of done for, which is par for the course for me. So as long as I can kind of go back to either my house or to the hotel and regroup and rejuvenate, then it works out. In my writing update, so I got to about 21,000 words of the first draft of the Black Towns book. And as I was preparing the next scene to write it, I realized something rather important. And actually, I wrote in my newsletter, my newsletter went out last week, and I think I had something like, I'm thinking of throwing away the entire draft. Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to throw it away. And then literally the either that day or the day after I sent that newsletter, I was like, I might have to throw away most of these words, which is not something I normally do. Like I'll throw away words here and there, or I'll, I know I'll have to rewrite everything. Like rewriting everything doesn't feel like throwing it away. It feels like taking that raw material, you know, taking that hunk of wood that I chopped off from a tree and carving it. This feels like starting on a whole new tree because I realized my protagonist is not active enough. So there's a lot of things happening here. Um, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> I've talked about the structure of this book in the past couple of episodes, 
And that, you know, it starts in our world, similar time period as my last book, well, last book I wrote, the book that's coming out, Monsters We Defy, which is the 1920s. This is also probably 1920s. I haven't picked out a specific year yet. I have, but it's up for debate. I might change it. So it takes place in the South in an all-Black town, and uh, which is at risk. It's going to be destroyed by the construction of a new dam, and this town is going to be flooded. And so the story is about my main character and the other main characters trying to save this town. And in order to do that, they need to travel to a magical world and, you know, retrieve this MacGuffin, this item that will help them, allow them to save the town. The issue that I've mentioned before is that they don't travel to this magical world until about the middle point of the book. And that's when that aspect of it takes off. The first part, the way it is now, is you have to learn about the town. There's other things happening. There's other character things happening. But I realized when my main character, Jane, like once we go into the magical world, she's got the quest aspect of it. It's not quite a quest, but there's a lot more concrete goals that she has. And she's, you know, she's trying to find someone and then they have to find the MacGuffin and then they have to come back and go back and do these things and overcome these obstacles and then the villain. But in the first half, it was a lot quieter. In order for the story to be engaging and to move you through it, I really think that a strong protagonist, especially in the type of book that I'm trying to write. I'm not trying to write like a family drama. And it was feeling like a family drama and not necessarily a historical fantasy adventure. And I had had goals for her. I know the characters need goals. They have to have obstacles. And I had created goals for my main character, but they weren't strong enough and she wasn't doing enough. And I know that this is a critique that I've had on other books. So, you know, once you've been edited and you see you have certain issues, I try to learn from that and and kind of um, bring that to other work. So I think it's my natural inclination not to have the protagonist be super active for a while. Because I remember, I think this happened with Jasminda in Song of Blood and Stone. And I got this feedback for um, a book that's on submission right now. And uh, I think even, yeah, some other books. So this is an issue that, that I have and which is probably why I wasn't able to see it until I had written 21,000 words and realized it like, oh, I thought I'd fixed it. I thought she was doing things. But when I look back at what she's doing, you know, there's kind of a mystery. So at the very beginning, you know, this, she sees someone and she, he looks, basically what happens is a man arrives in town, a stranger who has the face of a dead man. And she was like, he died 12 years ago, which is the source of her trauma. And so she's kind of following him around. No one else recognizes him because other people knew him. And so it's sort of like, is he or isn't he? And how can she figure this out? Also, my character is mute because of the trauma in her past. She has traumatic mutism. And so she doesn't speak, um, but she writes, she communicates. But some of the people in town are illiterate. So that makes it difficult. So there's like obstacles like that where she confronts him and, you know, he's mysterious and he's got powers. And I think it's interesting, but it's not enough. And it's still unbalanced. And it's still not like, what is she actually doing? Is she just following this guy around? And she's trying to ask questions and then the answer is no. So what does she do next? And so then I have this event happening where she gets taken to this other world, but it doesn't feel like enough agency and it doesn't feel like it's enough cause and effect and something is just wrong. So I have been 
spending time trying to figure out how to fix it and how much I need to change in order to fix it. Everything's kind of back on the table now in terms of our relationships with other characters, when other characters arrive on the scene, how many POVs do I have? I've been writing uh, in third person, past tense perspective with three POV characters. I'm thinking of changing it to first person with just two. I think I'm going to cut out one of the POV characters because I realized, A, she disappears in the second half of the book. Like, she doesn't really have a character arc per se. She has a small arc. She does change, but she's gone in the whole second half or maybe like the the last act, the, the last third of it. That's not good. Why do I have her POV in the first place? So I might be cutting another POV and going down to two, two first person POVs. Do I want to do that? I know I, I feel like now I want my main character to be first person. I could have the secondary character be third person. People do that. I don't know. I haven't even gotten to him yet. <laughs> I have to figure out her first. So it's a time of flux and change and um, regrouping and reanalyzing the story that I want to tell. You know, it, it always changes so much from this core, this idea, this kernel of an idea that I have and the shape that it might take. And then over the months of working on it and researching and plotting, it became something different. And sometimes it's like, well, should I be going back towards some of these other things that I've already let go of? Is that the problem? Or is the problem that I have to forge ahead in new directions that I haven't thought of yet? I don't know. I know I need her to be more active. So I've been brainstorming actions she can take. Like the core is the same. You know, she... We have um, the character, stranger comes to town. He looks like this dead boy that she knew years ago. She wants answers. A lot of it determines on his motivations. And I think I have to actually change what he's doing too, because he's not being super active until the midpoint either. I just actually realized that. Um, You know, I, I came up with everyone's motivation and what they're doing and why, but it's like, at a certain point, he's incapacitated, and then he comes back. And I haven't ever been clear on what his powers were. I was kind of leaving that up to, well, what do I need his powers to be? Um, that's not, sometimes that works, and sometimes it's just a cop-out. You know, like, sometimes you can say, okay, these are the powers, and then I work the story around it. And sometimes it's like, well, I, I needed someone to be able to communicate with this character. He was mute. And... So I was like, oh, I can give him telepathy so he can communicate with her so that she can actually ask him questions. I mean, she could write, but I think it's more mysterious if he can understand her. And it helps with some of the other relationships and characters in the story. Um, So that was kind of, that came out of a necessity of the plot and the decisions I'd made for other characters. And I have some other powers that serve to increase the mystery because they're not grounded in anything real. You know, like when I was writing the Earthsinger Chronicles, the magical system there, Earthsong, was very much grounded. And I I created the magic system kind of on its own in a silo. And then I made the story conform to what the powers did. And only occasionally did I tweak that. And then by the end of the series, we realize that what they know about that magical system in this time, so much knowledge has been lost. So it actually does a lot more than they know. And 
that was probably necessitated by me writing myself into corners and, and being like, I need the magic to do something else. Wait, because of the nature of the world, I was able to say, okay, this knowledge has been lost and it made sense. So sometimes it goes back and forth. But in this case, I don't have a clear grounding for the magic. You know, Earth Song was based on life energy. And so what I imagine life energy can do, well, it can heal, it can grow things, you can control the weather, like things that are alive, nature. I guess I haven't delved deep enough into the magic here because it's the mystical, the fantastical aspects of this novel are very, very different and are they're based in things, but they're based in cultural and like folklore and mythology that is vast and has lots of different permutations depending on where you are. And so I, I really have a lot of freedom and sometimes too much freedom is, is too much for me. I need, I, mean, I work better with boundaries and boxes. So I could try to create a magic system and then bounce the story off of that, like make the story conform to the magic. But in this instance, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Although I am, as we can see, not entirely sure of what the right thing to do is. So I've had lots of ideas. I'm narrowing it down. I'm still brainstorming options and trying to make make sure that I I have, you know, a main character who even if her goals at the beginning change, you know, once she realizes, once she goes into this magical world, they're definitely going to change. But even if her goals change, whatever they are at the beginning, it still has to be compelling. It has to link into what her arc is going to be. It has to be always working towards the fulfillment of her arc, the change that she's going to make. It has to you know, adhere to the story and the theme. And there's so much that has to happen. And it's just all at once. And so changing things at the beginning, it just has a lot of ripple effects, you know? I'm going back and forth between, you know, her relationship with her love interest. At one point, they were dating. At another point, they were already engaged or getting engaged. They haven't even gotten together yet. Like I've gone, what is the, what is the love story? I've gone, all the options have been on the table. But this is, this is the process. I mean, even though I don't usually have to throw out 20,000 words, um, if I do have to do that, I, I think I will, because any of these changes that I'm contemplating are going to negate what I've written so far. But even if I don't do that, I I get to a point where I have to reevaluate every decision that I've made to make sure that it's the right one or figure out that it's the wrong one and then change it. And even just last night, I was thinking of first lines. Like, I really think I need a strong first line. I don't often worry too much about that. Like, Usually I get the first line and that's my way in. But with this one, I was considering some of my favorite first lines, like um, Toni Morrison's Paradise. The first line of that book is, they shot the white girl first. And then I was looking at Naomi Novik's um, Uprooted, which has a, a terrific first line. Our dragon doesn't eat the girls he takes, no matter what stories they tell outside our valley. It's like, I feel like if I can a first line that has irony and a hint of magic in it that will allow me to then push off because there's not a ton of magic in the beginning of the book, but I want you to know that you're reading a fantasy story and there's going to be more and they're going to take you someplace else. So even though like the normal world in terms of the structure is very normal, 
of course, except for this man who looks like a dead man who walks out of the river. That's kind of, I'm trying to figure out a first line that includes that sort of, is it irony or just intrigue, you know, and that, that hint of the magical and the fantastical. And I, and last night as I was going to bed, it was like 1am and I was typing in my, on my phone and actually like talking softly into my voice memo recorder. So I wouldn't wake my husband up because I was having potential first lines and trying to massage that into something that then I think if I get that, it will help. Cause I don't know where to start the book. I've got a lot of different options for inciting incidents, but I know, I knew and I've been reworking it. You know, I think I was talking to my friend about the inciting incident a couple weeks ago. There's three things that happen at the beginning of this book, as it is now. Two, two of them could change. So as it is now, like there's three kind of new things. You know, how do you start a book? You start a book as late as possible, but why, why are you reading about that character on that day as opposed to the day before or the day after? So you have to start as close as possible to the beginning of their change arc, but you still need enough time to get to know the character before they change. So there's that balance. There's the in media res, which is starting in the middle of things like we learned in elementary school, but often that's a little bit late. You know, sometimes when you start, you start with an action scene, for example, well, who are these people doing these actions? Why do we care about them? We don't know them. They're running away from something that's chasing them, but I don't know who this is, so I don't care about them. Whereas if I showed a a scene before, like um, The Hunger Games, we start with Katniss hunting, I believe, in the woods. She's getting food for her family. So we we know her, then we see her family, and we see the state that they're in, that she has to take care of them. And then we can go into the inciting incident, which is the choosing, or whatever it's called. And her, because we've seen her and her sister, we've seen her mom being, you know, asleep at the wheel and she has to take care of her younger sister. So that by the time she makes the choice to volunteer, we've seen enough of the normal world to understand why she did it and we care about her. So you kind of have to balance where you start, like on what day. So I I think maybe having three new things happen at the same time, there are three kind of inciting incidents to the different subplots, and they were happening on the same day in this first draft that I was writing. And that might be too much to hold. So one of those things can have happened in the past, and we can still be, we can start the book still reeling from the events of that action, and then move into something else changing and new. Obviously, still figuring it out. Another thing that I was thinking about as I consider character wants and needs is uh, the Tiny Desk at Home concert for Little Shop of Horrors. There's a a new off-Broadway, I don't know if it's new, but an off-Broadway cast. And they did a couple of songs on Tiny Desk at Home, the NPR show. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, And one of the writers, Alan Menken, was there giving sort of commentary about the show and writing it because it's the anniversary of, I believe, of the show. So he was talking about the the song Somewhere That's Green. And the same people who wrote Little Shop of Horrors wrote uh, Little Mermaid, which I didn't realize. And so he talks about, before he sings Somewhere That's Green, he talks about, they did that one first and then Little Mermaid came like, 10 years later. But it's a classic I want song. And 
it's a moment where your character steps forward and says, this is what I dream of. And so it's the same when they were writing Part of Your World, which is my favorite song for Little Mermaid, they were calling it somewhere that's wet. Because they were kind of like, okay, we did this song, Little Shop of Horrors, we're doing another version of it in Little Mermaid. And it's both, it's, you know, the characters just telling the audience their dreams and what they want and what they're hoping for. And I was thinking, wow, we can actually learn a lot from the structure of musicals. I'm a big musicals fan. And just thinking about the overture. So we were listening to the first song of In the Heights. And how it's an overture, which introduces you to all the characters and gives each character's theme as a part of the song. And then we were listening to the first song of Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, which you're introduced to all the characters, but they're talking about the main character. And like, where do they start? And then you have a song where he tells what he wants. I think in Hamilton, it's, uh, I'm not throwing away my shot, where you get an idea of what this character wants. It's the part of your world. It's the somewhere that's green of that show. The musicals are stories in the way that novels and movies are stories too. So they're going to follow the same general structure in order to that, at least in the West, you know, Western storytelling. And I'm like, what would be my part of your world song? You know, what does Jane want? Where does she tell us that? Where does she think about that? And I just kind of got inspired from hearing, you know, this musicals writer talking about the approach to to that. And yeah, I think that in every story, you're going to need a place where the character muses on, shares with the reader what they want. Talking about processes, uh, I listened to an interview with Holly Black on the Lit Service podcast. And it was amazing because she and I virtually have the same process, it sounds like. You know, a lot of times you hear, I love learning about authors' processes, but I've never heard anyone who is more similar to mine than Holly Black. And so I'll link to that if you'd like to listen to her talk about it. But just fascinating in terms of, you know, you have to know where you're going, but you're going to change it once you start. It's frustrating. And she sounds like frustrated with it too, but it seems to be the way it works. And finally, in television, I have been watching Severance on Apple TV which is really interesting. My brother watched it first and he recommended that I see it. And so I think I'm up, I'm up to episode five right now. And I texted him and I'm like, am I going to get any answers at the end of this season? This seems like the kind of show that's just going to give you a cliffhanger at the end and make you mad. And he was like, oh no, the, the last episode, well, the only thing he said in response to that was that the last episode is the best one. He did not respond to my <laughs> query about whether I'm going to get any answers. So we'll see. I am liking it. It is, it's very interesting. I love the production design. I love that mid-century modern aesthetic. I love the framing. Every shot is a painting. The acting is amazing. My husband came in while I was watching it and was like, I thought this was a comedy because Adam Scott is in it and we know him from Parks and Rec. And I'm like, it's not a comedy. And then I thought about it and like, Yes, there's a lot of actually comedic parts. It's a very, very dark comedy, if you want to call it that. But yeah, there's there's a lot of absurdism in in it. Like they're in they work in this place and these hallways are just, just a maze and they're just walking in. There's long, long shots of them walking through these hallways that look identical and making turn after turn. And you're like, how do they know where they're going? <laughs> Which is not actually funny, but 
there are some characters who bring some humor to it, but it is a very dark concept. And I don't know what genre they are considering it because I was immediately like, no, not a comedy, not funny at all. And then like a few minutes later, I was, as I was watching the show, I actually laughed. I'm like, okay, there are comedic aspects. Ben Stiller directed the first few episodes. Adam Scott is in it, who's not only a comedic actor, but known in large part, I think, as a comedic actor, even if he's just a straight man. But yeah, I, I do recommend that show with a caveat that I haven't gotten to the end yet. And if the end makes me mad, I will let you know. So that is it for me for this week. My goals this week are to figure out what I'm doing with the story and uh, hopefully get back to a point where I'm writing words again. I think another couple of days of, of figuring it out hopefully will get me where I need to be. And we'll start again. <laughs> this book is hard. This book is a big challenge. And I think it's going to be a challenge the entire way through. Because I have a notion in my head, a very fuzzy notion of what it is. And bringing that into focus has been really difficult. So yeah, get some words, hopefully this week again. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>